You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. And welcome back to another episode of Metaphysical Fiction. This is episode four, where we are going to take a look at the summer blockbuster hit Jurassic Park. I am, as always, one of the hosts, Carl Leclerc, and I'm joined with our faithful compatriot, Michael Cohen. Hey, what's going on, Mike? Uh, I'm excited to talk about Jurassic Park. I know you are. (laughs) I think we both can uh, attest to our our love of dinosaurs, as can so many people. Yeah. Um, So, you know, I was as we were kind of thinking about, well, what are we going to do next? Because, you know, we started this whole thing with with an idea of really kind of sinking our teeth into a lot of the Marvel movies. And so far, we've we haven't hit any actual Marvel movie. Yeah. WandaVision and a little bit of Star Wars. And and that's kind of it. But, uh, you know, it's that it's that summer, got that summer feeling in the air. And I've been thinking a lot about summer blockbusters and Jurassic Park was the first summer blockbuster of of my lifetime. I imagine probably yours as well. Um, Obviously, Steven Spielberg kicked off summer blockbusters with Jaws many years before that. Um, But, you know, the this movie specifically, especially the first Jurassic Park, really built out this world of wonder uh for mass audiences and it's you know this movie is now over 30 years old um if my math is correct which it's probably not but um you know i mean this movie is just so beloved by so many people and while i think in a lot of ways you know as acting as a summer blockbuster i I don't think its primary intention was to necessarily impart some deep life lesson but that said the fact that it's an enduring story there's something embedded within the the story itself that I think does try to impart some sort of lesson, or at least it imparts something that keeps drawing us back in. And for mm. me, Mike, it's the concept of wonder. To me, the movie is all about being filled with wonder and how sometimes wonderful things can also be terrifying things, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes there's this, there's this intermixing of wonder and terror. And while I was thinking about this, it immediately made me think of um, one of my favorite uh, works that I read back when I was in college is we read a book called The Idea of the Holy by a, a German like religious studies philosopher, uh, Rudolf Otto. And he talks about how the ex- ultimately experiences of the holy, um, div- the divine God, whatever you want to call them, um, always kind of has these two experiences of both wonder and terror and that they they kind of coexist right we live in a a very binary world which is not necessarily such a great thing um where we have to think of some like wonder and terror as mutually exclusive and therefore non-complementary um but in in the sense of religious experiences they and, and we're talking intense religious experiences. We're not talking just like a nice feeling you had at church on Sunday morning. And not to belittle that, but that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking yeah. about like those holy crap, I just saw God in the flesh. <laughs> or like, you know, something 
totally of not of this world in a way. And I think in a way, Jurassic Park reminds us of the importance of those experiences. Now, that said, I'm not trying to say that the dinosaurs are gods or that the experience of Alan Grant and Ellie Sattler and Ian Malcolm was encountering a holy divine other there on, on the park. But I think that there's something about the theme of music. And I think this is a very Steven Spielberg aspect, which is reminding us how important it is to live with wonder and how how life giving and how life finds new ways in the in the face of wonder. Um, and I think that's such a great, powerful message that this movie um, has built right into its DNA, if you will. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think there is just so much there that is so important to remember. And I think there's a lot of um, and, and it's interesting because when you um, I'm recently coming off of a reread of the of the novel as well, and the novel and the movie could not in a lot of ways could not be more different. And to me, the heart of the novel is really a cautionary tale of messing with science, right? That yeah. uh, kind of the hubris of thinking that science can create and do whatever we deem it to do. Yeah. Um, you know, John Hammond's character specifically is just uh, he's a little man, literally in the book, like he's described as a very short man. Um, and that littleness of his stature mirrors the littleness of his ego. Um, right. And, and his desire to create, to just make a name for himself. Whereas John Hammond in the movie is this delightful grandfather like figure who yeah. wants the world to be able to be filled with wonder again. Um so it's it's interesting. I, uh, I I was rereading the book with a friend of mine, and the, uh, my my friend, for instance, loves the book and and prefers it to the movie, and that's you know it's totally fine. Again, to me, they're they're they have a lot of similarities, but they're very different stories. And they're so, so different; it's not fair to compare them in that way. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but that said, like I prefer the message of the movie to the message of the book because the message of the book is ultimately kind of a pessimistic one. Um, mm -hmm. everything ends on a downbeat in that book, right? There's no hope. Like, it's just like, oh crap, like our hubris will always destroy us. Whereas the movie ends, like, I love the closing shot of that movie where they're flying off on the helicopter and Alan looks out the window and sees, I don't know what kind of bird that is, but it's a bird, you know, a flock of birds flying and, and he smiles and the music swells, right? That beautiful John Williams music. Yeah. And it, to me, it's this reminder that wonder still exists in our world and it's important not to try to recapture something that's dead and gone <laughs> you know um and i think that's kind of the mistake of john hammond in jurassic park isn't i mean there's certainly hubris in it and that's that's pointed out by ian malcolm in, in both the the novel and the movie um it's much more heavily hit on in the novel of course but you know I think for what John Hammond was trying to accomplish is he wanted to, you know, bring something magical into the world. And what is more magical and wonderful, especially in the eyes of children than dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. So let me bring that back into existence. But I think the sad truth is, is when you try to recapture wonder by recreating something from the past, it usually doesn't have great results. 
Right. Um, and, and in a weird way, Mike, it, it, it literally makes me think of Maz Kanata's line in Force Awakens, which is right. The belonging we seek is not behind us. It is ahead. Right. I would say the same is true of wonder. You know, if something could have filled you with wonder and then it goes out of existence. So it's important not to just try to rebuild that or recreate that, but rather to look into ways that how does wonder evolve? And I think that's how the that's what the closing shot of that movie ultimately is, is wonder still exists in our world. It's just evolved. So how do we make space to re, to, to refine it and to allow it to have you know, uh, an importance in our lives. Um, and that's what I really love about the movie. And, um, you know, uh, there are a lot of, a lot of great interviews out there with Steven Spielberg talking about why he chose to go this route with the movie. And it, from the sounds of things, he and Michael Crichton were, were buddies back in the day. Yeah. Um, and Michael Crichton kind of told him about this idea that he had for this book, you know, dra- and ultimately Jurassic Park. And, and, and Steven Spielberg was immediately like, I want to make that into a movie. Um, And what's interesting is uh, Michael Crichton did write the initial screenplay for the first movie, but they chose not to use it. And I, I I don't know the details of that first screenplay, but I imagine it was more similar to the book. And Steven Spielberg is famous for saying that he ultimately wanted to tell a story as if he was a child again, right? Like imagining dinosaurs as a child is something pure and wonderful. And that's what he wanted to bring to the screen. So I think that's why the movie goes that route. I mean, it, it's literally Steven Spielberg saying to us, look how wonderful these creatures are. Look how wonderful nature itself can be. Um, and it's important that we have wonder in our life, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I, I, I think there is a, there's such a big difference between the text and the film just in, in that core, the, 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 the original tech, like the, the book, the beginning of every chapter starts with like <laughs> these really weird, um, they're excerpts from Ian Malcolm's book, um, on chaos theory. And, and there's like, a, almost like a, like a graphic, like a diagram. It's a graphical representation of, of the chaos effect, um, uh, to help you understand, what they're talking about. And that really like, that's the through line through both books. Cause it, cause it, it reoccurs in the, in the, in the lost world as well. This, this whole through line of chaos theory. Um, and that like complex systems close up, right? Like when we're, when we're looking too closely, they appear simple, but the further you pull back, the more complex you see the system is, and the more weird aberrations you can point out, right? Because mm-hmm. like when you when you look really close in the pattern, you're like, oh, it's just a bunch of triangles. And then you pull back a little bit further, and it's like, oh, there's a why is there a square over there though, <laughs> right? And it's like you pull back even further, and you see that there are all of these these weird uh, uh, chaos factors, like like further out that that the model like a computer model at that point in time, certainly couldn't really predict. Right. Um, And that's, that's all sort of going into that idea of, of science as a form of control, as an expression of, of the human need to, uh, to, to attain power. Right. Um, And, and all of that is reflected very much in the movie, by Ian Malcolm's character in the, the, the lunch scene after they've seen the, the, the Brachiosaurus and then, and then the, um, 
the the velociraptor pen right and 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 his whole speech about like it's like you're you're a child who's found his father's gun right um i and like the the standing on shoulders of giants etc i like they sum it up there and then we and then we revisit it a moment later a few you know like about 20 30 minutes later in the in the jeep when malcolm explains chaos theory to to ellie um and it's like this very simple uh uh, sort of exercise to to explain that like you can't predict what's going to happen systems are too complex like we can't we just we don't have the ability to do it but they never really get into it and then and then towards the end of the movie when ellie and and hammond are in the 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 cafeteria or whatever and they're 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 eating the ice cream and he's like when we have control again and she's like that's the illusion but it's and that's all there but it's really hard to especially for a kid to wrap your head around that stuff and i guarantee that like Crichton had way more of that in his screenplay because that's what that's what jurassic park is about to him right the dinosaurs are actually just like uh they're a, they're an analogy for like like this this idea that that humans think that they can control nature mm. and it's like you 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 so you've guys you guys have discovered how to create a dinosaur embryo implant it in an ostrich egg using amphibian dna and you did it you just did it and you didn't have respect for it and you just like it just happened and now there are dinosaurs and you don't really know what to do with them. You don't understand them as animals. You don't understand the genetic monsters you've created because they're not technically the animals that existed 65 million years ago. They're 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 genetic aberrations, right? Like it's the the there's like a whole lack of respect thing there. That's all in the books that they you get like just these little snippets of it throughout the 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 five movies that have come out so far. Um, but like that to me, that is what you're talking about when you talk about wonder and it being like equal parts um, awe and, and terror. And, and, and to me, like it's, it's the, it's the true definition of the word awesome. Right. Which mm-hmm. like we see the word awesome in the Bible a lot and in, in, in certain trans translations. Um, and it's not what, you know, like the the early 90s Cowabunga Ninja Turtles meaning of the word awesome has become, um, which I'm very fond of using. I love the word awesome. It's one of my favorite words, but it's like the true sense of the word. Like when you when they see the Brachiosaurus and us as the audience, especially in 1993, see that Brachiosaurus for the first time, it is it is truly awesome. It's this incredible majestic creature that could kill you without even noticing. Right. So there's like, there's like this, this juxtaposition of like, wow, that's amazing. We're seeing a real dinosaur for the first time ever. What if it decided to attack us? Mm. (laughs) Right. And then later on, it's like the, 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 the Raptor is born and, and Grant's holding it in his hand. And he's so, overtaken by the magic of the moment that it takes him way longer than it should to clock. What am I holding in my hands? 
and he looks at it and everybody else has been talking and Malcolm's like, oh, life finds a way and all that stuff. And he turns with with absolute dread and is like, what species is this? <laughs> because he's realized that he's holding a velociraptor in his hands. Right. I mean, technically, it's a it's it's a Deinonychus, but that's fine. Uh, we don't need to get into the, the finer points of the scientific inaccuracy <laughs> in the Jurassic franchise. Sure. Actually, actually, we well, will in a second, but yeah. <laughs> we're not there yet. But uh, but that to me, like that's the that that's the dichotomy of the first Jurassic Park that I think the Lost World and um, and Jurassic Park three maintain. And I think it's the piece that Jurassic World and especially Fallen Kingdom completely lose. Mm -hmm. Where it's like like. Uh, Jurassic World has a couple of cool moments, but they're not because I think of when I when I think of Jurassic Park three, there's the moment after like like it's been harrowing, but everybody's back together and we're going to get off this island and we're we're on the boat. All we got to do is get to the water and like if we can just make it to the outside of the like to the to the edge of the island, we can we can figure out a way to to get get off of <laughs> this godforsaken place. Um, so we get this breather moment and and in that like they, they kind of come around a corner and and it like opens up and we see the dinosaurs and we see a bunch of the um, the herbivores. Right. And it's and the music swells and we get the Jurassic Park theme and it's like a, this beautiful like story. I can't remember if it's I think it's sunset, right? Because because a little while later, the, the yeah, Spinosaurus attacks them at night. Yeah. So it's like sunset. So you got that beautiful golden hour glow to it. It's like and it's like it's it's majestic. There's That's the word for it. It's the perfect word for it. Um, that moment isn't in Jurassic World. And it's definitely not in Fallen Kingdom. The closest we get in Fallen Kingdom is when the Brachiosaurus gets killed because the volcano erupts. Mm-hmm. And we get that moment of it like silhouetted behind the volcanic ash as it dies. Right. Well, you know, and, 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 and I, like to me, that's why those movies don't work as well. That's it's what they're missing. And it's what makes the first three work for me, especially the original is yeah. that it's just like it has yes it's scary it's a scary movie at times but it also is beautiful and amazing and makes you like sort of look at yourself in the in the context of the larger world and that sort of thing like it like like as 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 not just an individual human being but as a part of our ecosystem and 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 you know like how, what effect we have on the world and stuff like that yeah certainly at a young age it, it impressed that upon me right yeah and you know it's 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 so I, I'm going to make two points here because to follow up, the, the first thing I want to say is I, I love that you pointed out that moment from from Jurassic Park three where they are going down the river and also all, all that river stuff was really cool because it, it connects. There's there's a lot of river stuff in the the novel. Like yeah, Jurassic Park three actually pulls out a lot of stuff from the novel that wasn't used previously. So that, it was just cool to see that again they found ways to take kind of the base story and 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 bring it in. But that said, I, I love how you pointed out it is this majestic moment of wonder, which is exactly what this franchise is supposed to be about. Yeah. And even more than that, as they're at the beginning of Jurassic Park three, as they're flying over the island and, you know, they've they've duped Alan into thinking that he, they're going to pay, you know, pay a huge payout for to, to continue funding his his uh, studies. 
um, doesn't think a chance in hell they're going to land, right? It's just to fly over and look. Um, and as they kind of make it into this open space and you start to see again, it's, it's always the herbivores you see at first, which to be yeah. fair, makes sense. Like that's true of the animal kingdom today. Like if you go on a safari, you're more likely than not going to see a bunch of, you know, like zebras or giraffes if you're in Africa or, you know, if yeah. you're in the Midwest, you might see some like some buffalo, right? Yeah. See the grazers, the, the predators are hunting, they hide, right? So, yeah. But yeah, yeah. If, if you see a cougar run uh it's too late yeah. <laughs> you're done or, yeah exactly um yeah. but even like even in that moment right it kind of does begin with the statement of wonder like alan yeah. looks down and even says he goes my god i've forgotten and then you know the jurassic park theme starts and yeah. you see that delight on his face as much as this place scared the crap out of him he still recognizes the power of its wonder and i would almost say that like and, and this is kind of a theme that was dropped at the end of Lost World, where you have that kind of closing little moment with John Hammond speaking to the media and ultimately saying, we need to respect their space, right? We yeah. need to keep them isolated on the island. We cannot coexist, which is quite literally true, right? Like yeah. you, we can't, we could not coexist with dinosaurs. Yeah. Um, like when he says like they require our absence, yes. right? Which is such a beautiful line. Like I really like the lost world and, and I, it's, it's an unpopular opinion. Most people will, will, will say that the lost world's a bad movie. I think that people have a bad taste in their mouth because of the San Diego stuff mm. um, yeah. uh, at the very end of the movie, which I think is unnecessary. Right. I, I I like it, <laughs> but I think it's unnecessary for the I mean, story. I think it's also like ten minutes of the movie. Like it's very yeah. short. Um, exactly. Yeah. But, uh, but but like all of that to get that line is totally worth it for me. Of like of, of absolutely like his speech at the end. Yeah. Which is just like because it, it is very much these ideas of ecology and 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 you know like uh, man was not meant to meddle. <laughs> uh, right. Right. And, uh, and that sort of stuff. And it's it's a it's a to me it's like this nice reminder of of respecting the space, of of respecting the space between the ordinary and the extraordinary, um, and that yeah. they can't always fully coexist. And again, like I'll bring, I'm gonna draw this back to, you know, uh, a very uh, Judeo Christian concept, which in the Old Testament, in um, in the book of um, I think it's First Samuel, when uh, Elijah is about to, he, he, he asks to see God in God's fullness and God's like, you can't, you would die. Like it's too much for you. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> so all he gets to see is God walks by, right? So he, he sees God pass by, um, because it's just a little, it's just way too much in the Hindu tradition. There's the story in the Bhagavad Gita where Arjuna asks to see Krishna in Krishna's fullness. So Krishna, like pulls back like it's ultimately like pulls his face off <laughs> to show to show arjuna the fullness of his divinity and arjuna is nearly blinded and has to look away right because again it's the it's the reminder that there will always be a separation between the divine and the created the creator and the create and the creature ultimately right um that you can't take it in in its fullness um and I think Jurassic Park is about respecting that distinction. It's about respecting the distinction between the truly wonderful and our ability to exist within that space. Um, we we aren't, you know, it, it, and tying this all into the, like what you were talking about with the, you know, specifically more so in the novel, and it is brought into the movie with Ian Malcolm, the reality of, you know, respecting 
creation and the power of creation and the dangers of not respecting the power yeah. of creation, right? Yeah. That ultimately we are creatures. Now, whether you are a person who believes in a creator or not, doesn't matter. We're creatures all the same, right? Um, we are not pure creators. We cannot be because we are finite. Um, I, yeah, I, I've always, I've always interpreted um, made in his image as like, what is the thing that defines us from the rest of the animal kingdom? And it is our ability to create, but we're a shade of God's ability to create because well, like we put it into the book and it's like, and, and, and at the beginning of the Bible, it's like, and he did this in seven days. And it's like, well, he didn't actually do it in seven days. This is all metaphor. It's allegory. It's we're trying to boil down the concept of a deity that we can't comprehend creating the universe out of nothing. It's not, you're not going to fit it into the first chapter, right. <laughs> you know, um, like the, it's such, it is such arrogance and hubris to think that that part of the text is literal it, to me. It's just like, it is like that, that a human being could even begin to understand the complexity with which God, uh, literally for lack of a better way of describing whether, whether you, like you say, whether you're Judeo Christian, you believe in a monotheistic hey there's you know god sitting up on a cloud swirling things and and making people or whether you're just like like it's the force right like it's just it's whatever it was that like that was before or exists outside of what we comprehend that like that created the big bang with like the know-how of like i'm gonna do this one thing and this one thing is going to spiral out into infinity and create human beings watch <laughs> right like yeah. like the the idea that that like you say like 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 not respecting that ability of creation because we have the ability to rub two sticks together and make fire which is where it starts for humans right like mm -hmm. like evolutionarily speaking it's like we 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 managed to to sit up on our hind legs so that we could free up our hands for tool usage and then and then do stuff <laughs> to start rubbing sticks together, making fire and weapons. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. Like it's, it's said, it's such arrogance to think that, that we're more than that. And that's the whole, like, that's the whole point of Jurassic park. Uh, yeah. Like from the sci-fi perspective, that's the yeah, science yeah, yeah. fiction part of it. Yeah. And you know, there's, there's that great line in, in Jurassic park where Ian Malcolm says, you know, God created dinosaurs. God destroyed dinosaurs. God created man, man destroyed God man creates dinosaurs um and of course ellie's incredible follow-up dinosaurs eat man woman inherits the earth yeah. um right but again ian malcolm just pointing out right that this and this is i mean he's ultimately what he's ultimately saying is the first he's telling the story of the first sin in the book of genesis right which um again this is judeo-christian i'm i'm speaking of the language of sin doesn't really exist in a lot of other religions um not in the same way at least um yeah it's it's ultimately right that humanity's deepest flaw and you know theologians have come to call it original sin i'm very skeptical of that term but all that to say the the initial flaw of, of humanity in its creaturehood is being discontent with your creaturehood right trying to be at equal with the creator yeah. um and that's ultimately what ian malcolm is laying out right there is this is how disrespectful this this entire island is this entire park yeah. is a huge slap in the face of accepting accepting our space our space and our place in creation um 
you know, and again, I, I don't I don't see Jurassic Park, either the bo- the movie or the novel as a supreme indictment of don't be scientifically explorative of it's not yeah. doing that at all. It's just saying, again, be mindful. And, and, and I think it's a reminder of the need for some sense of moral compass within the world of science. Right. Yeah. Um, in, in all my years of doing ministry work and teaching high school theology, you know, a lot of times young people will ask like, well, science and religion can't coexist. Right. And it's like, no, they mm-hmm. can. I mean, in a very simple, basic way, science can only ever answer the questions of how, right. How was it made? Um, where was it, the how and the where's, but what science will never be able to answer. And frankly, it's not really what science was created for, but science cannot answer why, you know, that's, that's why we have theologies. That's why we have philosophy. Um, that's where morality comes into the picture. And I think, yeah. uh, Jurassic Park's indictment of the scientific world isn't just a blanket indictment. It's a, an indictment of doing things without thinking of consequence. Yeah. Right. Um, and yeah, like I, I just think again, that's brilliant. And, and even, and, and then to tie that back into the kind of the theme I like started a conversation with was again, when we try to find wonder by recapturing something that no longer exists, it's going to fall apart. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and again, I think of, uh, again, in, in the story of biblical narrative, this is the people of Israel when they finally get to the promised land and ultimately just try to redo everything that they've done before. It's like, no, yeah. you're trying to recapture something that's fallen apart and it fell apart for a reason. Don't try to just re- replicate it. Do evolve, right? Evolve, <laughs> do something new. Um, and the same is true. I think in a very human way in relationship, when something falls apart in a human relationship and then you just try to find it somewhere else or just rebuild it with someone else. It's like, well, no, that's not how it works. You have to evolve into something new now. Um, and, and I love that message from Jurassic Park is, is respecting the importance and the beauty of wonder, but also where are you getting it, you know, and, and how are you getting it? Because that's important too, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I just, I love those, those messages so much. And, um, I'm, I'm totally going off on like a totally <laughs> different, uh, avenue now. But this was a point I was going to make earlier when you were talking about uh, that majestic moment from Jurassic Park 3. And to tie it all in is Jurassic Park was a movie that came out. I was I was eight years old when this movie came out and my favorite action figures to play with. um, I wasn't quite into Star Wars yet. I mean, I knew that Star Wars was coming into my worldview. Um, It was kind of like it was like that asteroid that crashed into Earth that killed the dinosaurs. Like I could see it in the sky. It hadn't hit me yet and (laughs) and totally unearthed everything else and made Star Wars the 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 reign supreme (laughs) love of my life. Um, But when I played with action figures, for instance, like I was playing with Batman, I was playing with Ghostbusters, I was playing with Ninja Turtles mostly at that time. The idea of playing Jurassic Park doesn't really sound exciting, right? Like, oh, I run a theme park. I run a zoo, you know? Yeah. But that movie, specifically the first one, was so wonderful. And obviously the, the early to mid 90s was an interesting times for for toy making anyway. You know, it, uh, Star Wars changed the game on toys that could be made, right? Movies moving forward would always have a toy line. Well, for a time anyway. And when they released the Jurassic Park toy line, it was like, of course I have to have these. And, and just... I'm bringing that in simply to say that even the this movie itself elicited enough wonder in me that I wanted to play in that world. 
right? There, there are a lot of really cool movies um, that are exciting and they're, they're thrilling to watch, but you don't necessarily want to play because ultimately for a child, a playing is a way of interacting with that world. Um, it's wanting to, to take part, be a co-creator in it. Right. And Jurassic park really did that. So, I mean, I would play with my dinosaur action figures and I would even go out into the woods behind my house with my brothers and some local friends. And we would play Jurassic park in the woods where some of us could be raptors and the other people were the, were the people getting killed. <laughs> you know, we would chase yeah. down and try to hide and jump out and tackle you. And like, I think Jurassic Park, it did do this thing where it in, it instilled in us again that the goodness of wonder and letting us play in that wonder. Um, and I think that's such a a huge attribute of of, of what Jurassic Park brought into the world. Um, you and I are pretty much the same age, if I remember right. I, I know we're a few years apart, but nothing drastic. Yeah. Um, did you play Jurassic Park when you were when you had first seen that movie? Was that something you got into? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, all the time. Uh at school and with friends and yeah. I mean, I was Alan Grant for Halloween two years in a row. <laughs> in 1993 and then again in 1994. The year before that in 92 I was I was Batman because the Batman movie came out, right? Like um yeah, I I actually it's funny in 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 the 4th grade, 94, I I took I I had a super soaker when the super soaker oh my god what was that line it was like it was the first time that they'd like gone away from like the classic super soaker shape of like the like the yellow super soaker with the green uh the, oh, the yeah. green yeah, like yeah, yeah. screw in bottle yep. and it i it had a bottle that went on the top it didn't have the rings around it right the bottle just went in on the top and like clicked like sort of left to right like you have to imagine it, the bottle is like the the bubble but instead of the 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 nozzle whatever part coming out of like the 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 end of it it was like right in the middle of it and so it just like kind of clicked onto the top of this what looked like the shotgun from Jurassic Park right the the one that that Grant uses uh, uh unsuccessfully to shoot a raptor at point blank range um because he's not a marksman um <laughs> and i i i popped the 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 water tank off of it and i took that thing to school on halloween <laughs> which like you would get kicked out of school and i don't like you would get expelled from school if you took something like that to a school nowadays so i sure. think about that all the time where i'm like i can't believe i did that my parents let me do it yeah and nobody cared like the teachers didn't care because it was very clearly a super soaker sure. right like it was like the the it was gray but it was like a very light gray like the like the gray of like an like an NES and and um and the 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 pump action part well I don't know what what that's called but the 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 part of the shotgun that you pump right like yeah. and like the part of the the super sure. soaker that you pump for the pressure was like hot pink <laughs> It was like because it was the '90s and everything was yeah, neon color, right? Of course. Um, but yeah, like, like, and it was just like I had a pair of white jeans and a, a a denim shirt, and it wasn't a fedora. It wasn't like Alan Grant's hat. It was like a, it was more like a floppy kind of outback style leather hat that was part of like our our costume box um for for playtime and i just i took these three things and a and a 
uh, a handkerchief and put it around my neck and like, Hey, I'm Alan Grant and I'm the hero from Jurassic park. Not really like at the time understanding that like, <laughs> he's not really that type of character, sure. but it doesn't matter because it, when something captures your imagination, it captures your imagination. Sure. And that's the end of it. Right. Yeah. And so actually this brings up another, another point I was uh, kind of, as my friend and I were talking back and forth a bit when we were, you know, talking about the movie and the book and um you know uh they were saying that um they also preferred jurassic park 3 to lost world mainly because they were like oh i'm more of an alan grant fan than an ian malcolm fan and i think alan grant the reason alan grant is is kind of considered the star of that movie which i I, i'd be curious to see how screen time breaks down i mean he he probably does have the most but it is very much an ensemble cast um but i think and it sounds like you know obviously you as a, as a young person and and so many others i think the reason alan grant is kind of viewed as the the hero of the story or the main character is because he is the one we see the wonder through his eyes the most right we get it from ellie as well but we really get it from alan um you know he is he is every child that you know, looks at a picture of a dinosaur in a, in a illustrated book and is just like, wow, or walks into a natural history museum and sees those mammoth dinosaur bones reconstructed and just thinks, my God, that's amazing. That's Alan Grant on screen. He is our window into that world of wonder. And I think that's why he kind of became most people's favorite. He and Ellie both, because they are the ones that are filled with that wonder. And what's interesting when you look at their, where their characters are at the beginning of the third movie, Ellie doesn't seem to be involved in that world at all anymore. Now I I'm obviously speculating. We don't actually know. We're never really told what exactly she does other than she's married to a high up, you know, political person. Um, I was, and has had two kids and has had it's, two kids. Yeah. Quick side yeah. note, like it always bummed me out that those two didn't end up together. Um, but, uh, but that said, when she and Alan are having that conversation in the evening after dinner, she has really just held on to the terror of that experience, which certainly makes sense, right? Like I'm sure all of them had some level of PTSD after that weekend on the Island. Um, But for Ellie, you know, she has kind of just held on to the terror in such a way that it's, it's, and again, this is me, you know, speculating, but, her character has walked away from the wonder of that work and the wonder of that world. Whereas Alan is still just invest is just as invested, right? He's, he certainly respects the terror of it all, but also still is so filled with the wonder of it. Like when he's explaining to her how smart velociraptors are, which again, side note, that's pretty silly. No, they would have been, they would have been as smart as primates. I don't know about that. There doesn't seem to be the scientific evidence to support that theory, but I get what they're doing. But all that to say, like, even in that moment, while Alan is certainly responding to her terror of like, yeah, we don't even know the half of how terrifying they could be. And yet, even in the midst of that terror is wonder for him, right? Um, That even though that experience is was probably the scariest thing he'll have ever had to deal with in his life. He hasn't lost the magic of it all. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's still, I, I, that is in Jurassic Park three. One, one of the most interesting parts is that like, like when he's giving his presentation, everybody just wants to ask questions about the park (laughs) Yeah, and then about San Diego. And he's like, I wasn't there. I, and I, but it's like, he, he's still, 
trying to figure out, you know, like, like unlock the mysteries of these animals that lived 65 million plus years ago. Um, and they, and they're like, Oh, like, like, but you've seen them. And it's, and, and he makes the point of like, no, those are theme park attractions. Like those are monsters for a, you know, like for commerce basically. And, and, and that gets reinforced in Jurassic world when, when, uh, uh, Dr. Wu is like, is like, if we, if we made these animals look the way that they really did, like people wouldn't, people wouldn't believe it. They wouldn't pay to see them. Um, they would think that we had done something wrong. And, and I think maybe it's in the lost world in the novelization. There's a bit about like, it, maybe it's in the original Jurassic Park where where somebody talks about like basically like like they slowed down the metabolism of the larger herbivores because they were moving too fast. Yeah. yeah. And and like 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 our perception of them at the time, like scientifically, um, because Michael Crichton was like on the cutting edge of paleontology when he wrote that book, it's now very, very far behind because science moves. Right. <laughs> um, but at the time it was like the cutting edge and it, and, and a lot of the ideas, like the idea that dinosaurs evolved into birds was not widely held. And even when Jurassic Park came out, like when the movie came out, it was considered like pop science not not real science and now of course we we consider it scientific facts right we have so much evidence to support it now that we know what we're looking for it's like oh here's the multitude of evidence that that it's it's scientifically classified birds are dinosaurs there's a distinction in the in the evolutionary tree of like we have non-avian dinosaurs which are dinosaurs and then avian dinosaurs which are birds and we don't know exactly when it splits and there's a lot of missing links in there, but we have a good enough understanding that we know this stuff. And, uh, uh but, but we have that understanding now, but back then, back in the nineties, dinosaurs were still like the T-Rex that you saw in King Kong. Yeah. Right. I'm talking about like the original 1930s King Kong. Um, they, they drag their tails on the ground. They're these slow moving, they live in swamps, blah, blah, blah. Right cold-blooded they're just giant lizards and they were depicted that way um and and the book like sort of makes that point and to me it's like i always i i like the looking at it and 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 we just got the the picture from dominion where we're going to see an actual dinosaur uh with feathers in the next jurassic movie and there's a lot of speculation as to how that's going to come about because it's a species we haven't seen in any of the previous films um but i i but the understanding of of the dinosaurs is changing in the films to match where science is at now, which is nice. It's good that they're finally doing it. It's taken them a lot longer than I think it should have. I think Jurassic World should have touched on this more. Like I said, there's like a line, but I think it should have been more a part of it. Um, but I, I, but but people aren't ready for it as well, right? Like like if you if you like Family Feud survey says polled people about whether or not dinosaurs had feathers, you will get people who, and this is so interesting to me. It's so fascinating to me. You will get people who say dinosaurs do not have feathers. They didn't have feathers. Well, why do you, why do you think that? And they will tell you because when I was a kid, 
dinosaurs didn't have feathers. And that's their like that's their logic for a scientific fact, right? We know that dromaeosaurids like like Deinonychus and Velociraptor and Troodon and stuff. We know for a fact that they had some sort of feather, right? Whether they were proto feathers or like depending on where they are in evolution and in time, right? What what era they're from? Like they 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 they're different, but but we know for a fact, we know this for a fact. We don't know all of the detail of it, like how many feather, like how big they were, what the purpose was. Was it just for cooling the body? Were they for display? Could, was it like a precursor to flight? Which of these dinosaurs could glide? Like which of them were, were part of the way towards achieving that? And like, we know that like Archaeopteryx is literally like, like the first link that we have between di- between like a Velociraptor and, and a bird. Right. We have science that that shows us these very clear indicators, but people have a belief in in what they already know, and they're not willing to move forward with that belief. And it's so similar to religion. It just it's it to me, it's so fascinating. And and Jurassic Park, it like kind of gets into it, but it never goes all the way into the hard sci fi of it. Um, in the movies, it, it does more so in the books in the two books, but, um, but I'm really hoping I, I have high hopes and low expectations for Jurassic world dominion that, that they will actually start to sort of like within pop culture, rewrite this, but, but it's been like, there's been a reluctance on the part of universal to put feathered dinosaurs into the Jurassic franchise yeah. because they don't want people getting upset about it right well and you know and and think of i mean that it makes sense specifically in our part of the western world i'm speaking of mainly the united states but obviously just it exists in canada and i know elsewhere but right just the reluctance of people to accept facts (laughs) you know yep um i mean we we endured four years of fact-hating morons (laughs) in political power um and you know, and what's so funny is, is like, no, they, they didn't have feathers. Well, what are you basing that off of old science? <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's the same stuff. It's, it's the chil- the children's book that I read when I was eight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. And it's like, that's not, that's not how science works. Which was as progressive yeah. as it got when you read that. But yeah. you know what? It didn't stop there, <laughs> you know? Um, and that's, that's the sad. And, and I, I love the analogy you're drawing here with that and that of religion. Um, and I think, and again, I'm, I'm speaking primarily of, of, of Christian traditions and, and this is obviously a blanket statement, so it's not, I'm ignoring the nuance, (laughs) but, um, right. As we learn more about who God is or about who the, who divinity is, because if, if we truly believe that there is a divine creator that interacts with creation, then we have to also presuppose that that creator is revealing stuff about themselves. And as they reveal themselves more and more over time, just as we do in our own human relationships, we learn more about them. So when you have religious dogma that comes to being challenged because the, the people have new experiences that trump those or that transcend those when the dogma won't stretch, but becomes this hard cask, that tries to hold on to things, it doesn't work. And literally, Jesus has a parable about that, right? You don't put new wine into old wineskins because it'll burst. <laughs> you got to get some new wineskins. Yeah. Um, and and I think that that's 
that's a reality of even something like you're saying, like that the Jurassic Park franchise is even looking at is, are we going to just keep going off of the old things that the majority of people are comfortable with? Or are we going to be willing to, f- to put out more truthful realities? And uh, I love that they're doing this. I, I love it so much. Um, so yeah, like, and, and again, that's a great lesson for uh, the way we, the way we look at, you know, religions, uh, it, it just, it's not supposed to work that way, <laughs> you know? Um, and years ago, uh, on, you know, on the Wampusler, Jason made this really silly, but kind of profound point. Um, we did an episode cheaper. This was probably like seven years ago. We were talking about, you know, our thoughts on the special editions and, and subsequent changes, you know, with each release, you know, the DVDs had something a little different than the Blu-rays and then Disney plus gave us McClunky, right? Like star Wars is always <laughs> kind of given these new things. Yeah. And Jason had this, it, it, this is something I love about Jason. Is he, there's a, there's a real beautiful childlikeness to the way he sometimes thinks about these things. And I don't mean childlike in a, in saying that he's stupid. I'm saying something quite pure. And he goes, sometimes I like to imagine that George Lucas really does think that the star Wars world existed. And as he gets more and more information about it, he wants to go back and put that in. And I was like, I love that. Like, that's such a great thought. You know, I mean, I know Jason doesn't literally believe that, but you know, that was kind of his way of thinking is, is, you know, over years, George continues in his mind to live in that world he created and he sees new things. So he wants to put those into the story. Right. Um, and, and I think, you know, now this will be like a great way to close this out, but cause we're ultimately left with the question then. Um, and this is where I think, you know, in a very real way, our world exists right now is the reluctance of conservatives to accept that life changes, that life evolves. Right. And, and this is, I'm not trying to indict conservatives purely and simply, but the whole basis of conservatism is to conserve, to hold on to that, which is, and that, which has come before. Yeah. And it's very reluctant to evolution. Right. And, and, um, it, it, and I'm not trying to make this some political argument. That's not what I'm trying to get. I'm not, I'm not talking about this from a political aspect. I'm just talking about it in the way in which we even exist. Um, and, and I think there's something very basic in human beings in a lot of ways don't like change, right? Change is hard. So when things come to really challenge our worldviews, be it in the world of religion, be it in the world of sociopolitical realities, be it in the scientific world with dinosaurs having feathers, we get uncomfortable with things being different than the way we're used to. But you know what? That's how life works. That's how life finds its way, right? Um it, it 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 comes down to like like what what you'll hear a lot of scientists say, and this is like uh, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson sort of sentiment, which is like science doesn't care what you believe. Right. Fact is fact. Yeah. Like like gravity exists whether you believe in it or not. You don't have to believe in gravity. It is it is an immutable fact of reality. Right. Um, and if you want to have a philosophical conversation about the confines of reality and, you know, like, are we living in a simulation, whatever, like we can get into that stuff. I'm sure one day we'll do an episode about the matrix and we'll talk about this stuff, but, but like, that's a different thing from like, regardless whether or not, you know, God is controlling everything. Some machines are controlling everything. Cause we're just batteries to them or whatever it's, or it's a, I, I, combined uh unconsciousness right like like a, a communal uh, unconscious reality that we create around each other it doesn't matter when i throw something up in the air 
it hits the ground. The earth spins around and orbits the sun and the sun orbits the galaxy <laughs> like and the and there's a core to the galaxy and the galaxy is moving through space and there are other galaxies and there's a potential potential for life out there somewhere and uh by the way there's more than two genders and i uh, i like like the, the, it, so many things that it's like that these are facts but we've we've tricked ourselves into believing and belief is the word for it, believing certain things about the world because it's more comfortable. It's easier mm-hmm. um, to, to hold on to a belief than it is to evolve and adapt um, as new information becomes available. It's very difficult for our brains to do it. We're, we're, we're tuned to survival and survival involves understanding our world in a certain way categorizing stuff good bad safe unsafe right like this is why we have racism it's why we other it's why we have tribalism like nationalism all of this stuff is just out of a need for us to feel safe and secure and for some reason some people get it in their heads that changing that science changing with new information is scary and dangerous Mm -hmm. and and like you said like like it is it's not all conservatives but it is certainly like there's a fundamentalist conservative contingent that is very much don't change the textbooks please don't change the textbooks i don't want to have to learn new math i don't want to have to learn that dinosaurs had feathers i want everything to be exactly the same way that it was when i was a kid otherwise i might have to learn something and change the way that I feel about a uh, an old school commonly held belief and and the, that stuff is scary change is scary and I I have empathy for those people but I also don't have patience for it <laughs> if that makes sense it's it's you can say like yeah I understand that's scary and and you feel that it's scary but at the same time I I don't have time for it <laughs> like like let's move on um all right the world is is changing and evolving and we all have to keep up yeah uh, yeah to paraphrase dr grant yeah <laughs> well i think that's a great that's a great spot to to wrap up this conversation again there's obviously so much more we talk about and i i think that's the beauty of jurassic park it's it's a story that that is so full of wonder and insight uh that make us think outside and beyond just the thrill of a summer blockbuster. Again, it, it is that too. And, and, and it is good just for that to give us the thrill of wonder, but it also opens up a lot of other uh, great questions to, for us to sit with and to, to think about. Um, so yeah, I think that's going to wrap up this episode, Mike. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, man, we got, we, we, we did it. We, we hit everything that I think we wanted to hit. Yeah. We, it's a good conversation. I think maybe we, I, uh, we, we made a point somewhere in there or two. I, I, that's awesome. I, well, I, what let's, let's give them a preview of what we're going to talk about next. Cause we decided this a while ago. Oh yeah. So we we're not, we're not going to pull any one eighties on this one. Cause this is a topic that you really wanted to talk about. And the second you said it, I was like, yeah, we're going to do that. I, uh, you want to tell everybody what we're talking about on the next episode next month. So 1996 was a huge year because it saw the release of my favorite ever summer blockbuster independence day. And we are going to talk about 
aliens and alien appearances in movies, specifically in Independence Day and what that means for us and all the interesting aspects of alien religions that have sprung up in America since the 1950s. Um, I did a lot of research on this when I was in college, so I'm excited to talk about it again. <laughs> so we are going to look at awesome. the, you know, the religious world of alien abduction and alien experience and, uh, and how a lot of those tropes are kind of in a more silly fashion brought into and into independence day, but they are reflections of things that exist in our world. And I'm so yeah. excited for that conversation. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it as well. Uh, yeah, we'll be back in about in four weeks. That's, that's the plan uh, to talk about independence day uh, and, uh, uh, and all that. Um, but yeah, I uh, ho hope you guys all enjoyed our Jurassic park talk and our, our, are we uh, we had a plan and and we, like that's the surefire way to make sure that things don't go to plan is to have one um <laughs> but i think that it's been fun these these uh these random topics have been uh, have been good i've really enjoyed it well like i said we'll be back in four weeks uh thanks for listening uh, i'll be back next week with amanda for a regular episode of the thunder quack podcast but uh but until then uh, we'll, we'll talk to you guys next time Metaphysical Fiction is part of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Head to thunderquack.com for more great podcasts or follow us at thunderquackpod on Twitter and thunderquackpodcast on Instagram.